Hello and welcome to 21st Century Vitalism, a podcast asking the question, what does it mean to be fully alive in the 21st century? And how do we best maintain that aliveness while dealing with the absolute craziness of this day and age? I'm your host, Brett Kane, and today I have a very special episode for you. It is our 50th episode. We are entering into our second year of the show. It is really hard for me to believe that I've been doing this for uh, already as long as I have. It's been an absolute treat and blessing to have these conversations and to be able to package them and to deliver them right into your ear holes. So today I wanted to do something a little special and kind of change the format a little bit. If you're watching this on YouTube, you'll notice when the episode starts, I'm doing this in person. So this is um, me kind of stretching the format a little bit. And I, I want to talk to some people who are around me who are inspiring me, who I think really encapsulate the message of what this show is putting out there in that um, practice is important. Uh, in order to cultivate aliveness, you have to do something to do it. You can't just sit passively. And as much as I wish that this podcast would naturally enlighten you and you wouldn't have to do anything, uh, we really have to hammer in the fact that it takes work and it takes commitment and dedication and discipline. And to really help me kind of hammer this conversation, I have invited my yoga teacher, Benji Mason, and her partner in crime and business partner, uh, Rick Powell, to come on to talk about uh, yoga. So this is something that I recently started back in July. I've had some stints with it and uh, have explored a lot of different studios and teaching styles and have really, really resonated and gotten a great deal from working with Benji. And uh, all, the, all the conversations I've had with Rick have also really expanded my idea of yoga and really helped contextualize what this practice is and how to best integrate it into our lives and kind of the boundaries of it and what is yoga? What isn't yoga? And that's what we actually talk about in this uh, conversation. We do go a little bit all over the place. Uh, we, we, as I said, talk about what exactly yoga is. How can you enter into this practice? What can you hope to expect? Why would you consistently show up to your mat? And we talk a little bit about their story of how they found yoga. Um, they've been in the game for uh, quite a while now, over 20 years. In the late 80s, they were able to find a teacher before there were really any storefronts open. And I thought it was really interesting to hear the story of how yoga has grown in the past 20, 30 years and what their perspective is on the expansion and to some degree appropriation uh, by Western culture and the way that these things have synergized. And this is a conversation I have with a lot of my guests who have been doing practices for a while. I did this with my David Nickturn episode to talk about just like proper lineage and the role of appropriation and how can we best honor the authentic transmission that has been carefully handed down from teacher to student for thousands of years while keeping it relevant to today. I don't think that we should, you know, hold this behind locked gates and, you know, only practice in a way that is ordained by those above in institutions. But I definitely think that what we're talking about when we talk about yoga and meditation and all these things, plant medicine usage, we're talking about a scientific method that has been carefully developed over thousands of years, it is something that if you follow, you will have recognizable results and things that you can expect. So it's a very scientific thing that is developed over time and thousands of years of trial and error. So for me, the authentic 
authenticity of a lineage is just something that I always want to point people to. It's one thing to take a teacher training and then to start riffing on it, but you really, really have to know the song uh, in order to actually successfully do that. So we talk a little bit about that. We talk about some of the things that a lot of yoga studios potentially leave out, at least from my experience, you know, touching in on uh, mudras and talking about the philosophy. So we really open up the wide world of yoga and they really are the best guides I've ever had. And the fact that they're right here in Grand Rapids is absolutely amazing and, you know, just the rich history. So that's what we're going to be doing with this episode. It's all about the yoga. Um, Yeah, this is uh, 2022. We are here. We are doing the thing. I have a lot of plans for the show. I really want to continue producing this. I really want to continue having these conversations and seeing who wants to come and talk to me. (laughs) Whoever wants to come, let's go. Let's do this. But overall, I am really excited for this year and I'm really glad that you're here listening. If you supported the show at all in the past, I really appreciate you. Just giving me your ears at all in this really, really rich and busy media landscape. I know that it takes a lot to sit down and listen to an hour-long podcast, you know, who has the time for that? So if you have found these engaging or interesting, please continue listening, um, you know, consuming the content. I'm really trying to get people that I genuinely believe in. I really don't want to bring anybody on that I don't think will benefit you in some way, whether or not my insight is of benefit, uh, you know, I'll leave up to you, but I genuinely believe that the people People who are coming onto the show have something very important and rich and vitalizing for you. So whatever practice you feel drawn to, you know, I hope that this becomes an encyclopedia of different practices, worldviews that you can then use to maybe explore. You know, the show is for people who don't necessarily have a concrete direction and where they want to go. So this is kind of a, a waiting pool for you to meet all these different perspectives and things and whatever's calling to you, whatever's tugging on you, pursue it, check it out for at least a couple months. And then uh, if it doesn't work, then you could choose something else. We have a lot of offerings coming out at you this year. So uh, again, I am just so grateful and thankful that this platform exists, that you are coming, showing up and listening. It really means a lot to me and I hope to keep doing it for many, many years. Uh, If you want to support the show this year going forward, uh, social media interaction is massive. If you want to uh, follow us on Instagram, 21st Century Vitalism, like us on Facebook, uh, subscribe over on YouTube. We also have a Patreon that you can get involved with. Uh, I only have one reward bracket right now. It's $5 a month. And right now I am just trying to make ends meet. You know, the show costs me money and time. So uh, I want to really make it worth it before I start investing more and more energy into that. I do have a reward uh, schedule planned out. So that is going to be something going forward. You'll be able to expect, you know, bonus episodes, educational material. I really want to do a month meditation, if not bi-week or uh, bi-monthly, I think that would be the way to say it. Uh, But I got goals, I got plans, and you know, I really want to make sure that this has long legs and provides me with an opportunity to keep having these conversations. It really is about the people I'm bringing on and the roster of amazing folks who have dedicated some of their time to communicating with me and connecting with me. Uh, Like I said, we have 49 episodes before this, so if you enjoy this flavor of conversation, if you're looking for a little bit more, check out some of the other episodes. There's a wide variety of wellness practices, activism opportunities, which I think are vitalizing and engaging with the world. Uh, There's a lot going on with this platform, and I encourage you to give some attention to these people that I'm bringing on because they're absolutely incredible. Every every person I've had on, uh, I really genuinely believe in. So thank you so much again for this past year. It means a heck of a lot. I'm really excited to take the show to new places this upcoming year. 
quality is going to get better. Everything's just getting better. Um, you know, life is very uh, hectic right now, and I understand that. So whatever we can do to create some harmony, create some ease, create some space and vitality, uh, we're all trying to find some balance in this craziness. You know, it's a very strange and potent time, which I say at the opening of every episode. And it is. It's very potent for potentially awakening to the moment. You know, all these things that really drag us down can either drag you down or in a sense bring you more into the moment and that's really what I want to highlight with these with these voices so thank you truly from the bottom of my heart it means an absolute a, a lot to me and it means a lot to Benji and Rick for you to listen as well if you want to uh, get involved with their thing they have online teachings both for Tai Chi which is Rick's offering and yoga which is Benji's and that's at fromtheheartyoga.com you can uh, check out their schedule uh, I do the Wednesday and Thursday and Saturday classes so if you're ever tuning in you'll know that I'm probably in the room um riffing so you know that's how it goes all right friends uh that was my start of the year monologue i hope that you enjoy this episode please open your hearts drink some tea do some stretches and please welcome benji and rick All right, Benji and Rick, Rick and Benji, welcome to uh, your studio. I mean, 21st Century Vitalism. Uh, <laughs> here, uh, here after a uh, little bit of technical issues. Uh, for the listeners, uh, they should be able to see we're in the same room. This is kind of a new thing, so new year, new format for some stuff. So thank you so much. Oh, for... thank, thank you so much for having us. Appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate um, the invite. Yeah. So uh, I do have intros before this, so they'll know that uh, Benji, you're my yoga teacher. Rick, you're just a life teacher. You know, I consider you both uh, people that I have learned a lot from since I've been coming here in July. So this is really cool for me to be able to spotlight y'all and share your practices with my listenership, um, of which is growing. Uh, So what we're going to be talking about today, as you know, uh, is the practice of yoga. And uh, I feel like a lot of people are practicing yoga these days. It's kind of blown up into a very multi-billion dollar industry. And there's a lot of variety being offered today. There's a lot of mixtures of different things happening. So to start this off, I really wanted to kind of just create an umbrella idea so that we're all in the same boat of like, what is yoga as we're going to be talking about it? Yeah, that's a huge question. Um, I mean, it, it depends what, what angle you're looking at it from. Are you coming at it from um, historical reference, philosophical reference, personal reference, you know, or all of the above? I mean, historically, the word yoga goes way back into Indian history, maybe five millennia. But even at that time, you're talking the evolution of it from the Vedas through the Upanishads to classical yoga to Advaita Vedanta to Tantric yoga to what most people think of now as modern postural yoga. So the term is really just means to bind oneself to, you know, and, and I, I think of it and Bench can speak to it in a second is binding yourself to the pursuit of understanding the relationship of your deepest self, awareness, consciousness, whatever you want to call it, through the body into the world, and how does the, how do those all those things bind and connect to each other? 
So in essence, the, the common definition, they'll say union. But, and there's a lot of different ways to go about it through meditation, breath work, postural work, um, and devotional practices. So. I think about it, um, about it making connection. So a connection to yourself, like people seem to come into the class and there's that moment when you, we just all took a breath together. That was great. But where you take that deep breath and you feel yourself and you make a connection to where you are and that term to be present. But really that is the breath is what creates being present. And then it's about the more connection you have to yourself, the more connections and relationship and conversation that you end up having with the world and nature itself, but also how are you interacting in your, your personal relationships, your work relationships. So it's uh, in a sort of a broad stroke, but also in a personal way, it's a connection to self and to others. So it has the universal and the individual component. So for people who might not have had this experience, who've never really actively meditated in any fashion, what some people might be responding to what you're saying is like, well, what do you mean? I'm totally connected to myself. Like what is, you know, what is the thing that is keeping us from the connection? Like what is this perceived thing that we're working through? Like we're exerting a lot of effort, you know, by showing up to the mat every day and doing these practices. What is it that's keeping us from the connection? Yeah, no, that's a great, great question. I mean, yeah, of course you're connected to yourself. Let's start there. But sometimes we get distracted or your attention gets pulled outward so much. Um, social media, just attachment to the pursuit of different things, where, where sometimes when you think, for me what it is, is when, when I'm my mind gets so far ahead of myself that I, I don't know if this makes sense, but I don't include myself in the picture. It's like I'm running around doing all these things, but if I stop and take a breath and look at my hands and literally put myself in the picture that I'm observing, then I feel more connected to what's happening. And I think sometimes we get so disconnected from just our awareness of ourselves on, on a, some level. Um, which is easier to do. So when you go to the mat or go to meditation or go to some breath work, it just turns your attention inside and you put yourself back in the picture of the world that you're living in rather than pursuing some object that pulls you out of your awareness of yourself. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's, that's the way I look at it. Yeah, there's different kinds of connection. I was going to say that about social. Everyone thinks they're connected to everything all at once. Well, isn't that what you're going for? You know, soften your boundaries open. Everyone wants to be one with everything, but you have to be grounded in yourself. And the more grounded you are in yourself, the more sensitive you are to all these pulsing things. And that you also might want to pull back from one. So one, you're giving a boundary to another one, you're saying, come on in. So I don't know that we, I think we're all very connected, but I don't know if we all know where our space is, where our, for lack of a better word, maybe our boundary is. 
so we can stay true to ourselves instead of just plugged into everything that's happening. Yeah, I look at like uh, there's one of the practices that don't have to go into the school, but it's about re recapturing and regaining your willpower. And sometimes you can look at it that way as well. Like sometimes we have our attention out and so many threads attached to so many things that when you take time to, to kind of gather some of that attention back, that's what I think the practices of yoga can offer. You gather some of that attention back. And then like Benji was saying, you, you, when you're more grounded and, and connected and just aware of yourself and, and your tendencies, you tend to be more empathetic, compassionate, connected to other people and other things, not just people. So for the folks who might not have any sort of idea of where they're at on this path of connectivity, are there some like symptoms, so to speak, of not being connected? Is there like kind of some telltale signs where it's like, maybe yoga is something that I need right now? <laughs> Anxiety? <laughs> I think the whole world is anxious right now. And I think everyone is sensitive and we're all feeling this, uh, the, the pandemic is a perfect example, but every, it's a collective experience. And so it creates a collective anxiety. So that's a, that's a uh, what I want to say, like a, dis, a disconnect in a, or you're feeling that so strongly that you get disconnected. You're like overwhelmed. So uh, to me, it gives you the opportunity to sort of, as Rick was saying, reclaim and reconnect to the self. Yeah, I mean, just trying to think of examples for myself is, um, yeah, anxiety rising, um, really just feeling like I'm in a scramble towards the pursuit of something that I'm not quite sure of what it is. And um, I think a lot of people are feeling that more than ever right now just because it's hard to plan anything. It is. <laughs> so that, that, that makes a, a sense of anxiety, like where do I put my next foot down? Um, and that's easy to pull you into some depression, some uh, um, unsureness about where you're headed in your life. All of those are like factors for me, anxiety, unsureness, um, even mild malaise or depression. Um, so those, those are when I'll go back to uh, some type of practices that seem to put me more in touch with my heart. They may not clear it away completely, but it definitely lessens the, the, the feeling. It's been kind of my experience of coming to class three times a week. You know, there's definitely been some days, I don't know if anybody can tell, but like going through the ringer on some things, you know, especially with business, with massage therapy and a pandemic is a very uh, interesting practice to be having. Um, but I definitely, my experience of interacting with the space is it doesn't necessarily completely change the way that I'm feeling, but it changes my relationship to it. So it helps me have a little bit of perspective and be able to see it. And to me, that that sense of space around the drama of my life has just been really beneficial. And, you know, I have other practices, but yoga has definitely really helped kind of center me into just kind of like, okay, here's an emotion, here's the rest of my life. You know, it just, it doesn't shrink the problem, but it expands the container that the problem is. 
Oh, I like that, yeah. yeah. More spaciousness. Well, yeah, and also okay. exploring something rather than trying to get away from or negate it or push it away. Sometimes exploring the, the feeling you're having that may... Anxiety is just a general good way to describe it. When you're feeling that, how do you go into that feeling, explore it, and see if somehow that transforms into some greater awareness. I mean, that for me is the practices. I've learned early on in my practices, it would be like, I'm going to do these things so I can exist in bliss and kind of compartmentalize those over there so I don't have to look at it. And then later in my practice, it's more like, no, that's where the juice is. How do you go into those things that are difficult? How do you extract something useful from them and that, that helps you just stay in touch with yourself on a deeper level? It's like you gain a little kernel of knowledge about yourself that you didn't quite know. So how would you say that that interacts with getting off the mat and then living your day-to-day -day life? Do you think, it, does it just kind of naturally give more spaciousness to everything you move through? Or is it something you have to kind of summon within yourself when you meet hardships? I think it's a good practice. You feel really good. You come out of the class. Maybe you're blissed out. Maybe you're just feeling more grounded or just more open. Then you walk outside of the one, the room itself, but also the building and into the world. And then the first thing that happens that irritates you, it's about how you respond to it. Maybe you're still irritated, but you're aware that you're irritated. Or you just, you go, okay, that guy just cut me off, you know, in the car, I just pulled away, I'm out of my yoga class, I'm all blissed out. Um, and then you go, well, I'm going to just, okay, take a breath, slow down. It's not about speeding up or getting more anger, driving with anger. So to me, it's it helps you to respond mm -hmm. differently because you're more aware. But the things are still happening. They're coming at you a thousandfold, usually more, because <laughs> you're more sensitive. <laughs> so more things start coming at you. And you're like, whoa, is this like a test? Yeah. I think that was a good way to to shift the conversation a little bit. It isn't like always when things are bad that you know you look at the value of your yoga practice. I, I look at there's two different ways. Like you come to your your mat or your chair, even if you're just going to do meditation and, and breath work, and informing intention for your practice is always seminal for me. Like. To, to reflect and see how do I feel today. And some days you feel great. So it's more about play. It's more about the joy of just moving in a body and, and exploring feeling good. That's fine. It's great. And some days are, you know, there's some clouds. So your intention might be to, to gain some knowledge about why are there clouds and see if you can move through. So when we were Early in our practice, the, the two main reasons for practicing yoga were self-knowledge or creative expression. And that depends where you're at in your personal experience as to which way you would go. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So talking about your early practice and talking about kind of the symptoms of not living a yogic lifestyle, if you will, what 
was it anxiety and depression that kind of brought each of you to the practice or how did you first engage with this? How did you first realize that this is something you want to do for your entire life? Like you've had a really big commitment to this practice more so than anyone I've met in, in the flesh. Yeah, for me, it wasn't, um, I'm not saying I didn't have anxiety and depression. I think that was just a given. Everybody has some. But I was in my maybe late, mid to late 20s, going towards 30, and I had been a classical dancer, ballet dancer, and I was actually looking for a way to stay uh, fit and went to an aerobics class, was big in the 80s. A lot of spandex though. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it seemed to be the only thing that was sort of like, that's where you go for like a group class. I'm very group class oriented. I think I've been in a room with a wood floor, uh, barefoot, wearing black my whole life. Um, but then my sister, my oldest sister said, hey, you know, have you ever thought about yoga? And I said, no, I don't know that much. I don't know anything about it, really. And she said, well, I heard this woman's teaching a, a class, like a series of classes, and she bought that for me, and we went to that class, my first experience. And this was a woman, a single mother, living on Madison in the Heritage Hill, when it wasn't particularly a safe area. Um, but so I was like, okay, Madison will go down there. Huge three-floor uh, home, like many of them are. And this was the fascinating thing about it. I was so struck by this woman and what she was pioneering, really. She was the only yoga teacher in Grand Rapids at the time, I later find out. But she had single mom, two kids on the main floor. The second floor... She was a massage therapist, and there were massage therapists, body workers. Rolfing. Rolfing. Um, on the second floor, rented out rooms. The third floor, the ballroom, the yoga room, the space. So I went to that class, and, and um, immediately I felt, oh, this is what I was looking for. Not aerobics. <laughs> um, not chain Fonda, maybe. Um, but... <laughs> this because it was disciplined it was alignment based which i loved i was used to that um and up in a focus on she didn't really claim it as spirituality but the self and making a deeper connection to yourself and then i was that from then on i was hooked yeah i similar fashion i um well, I started my practice of Tai Chi and Bone Fu when I was 17. Um, and that always had a, a deep connection to Taoism for me, which is like the uh, yoga of China, um, <laughs> one of the yogas of China. And But then at, at that point, I was like, I want to be able to do the splits or get a little more flexibility. So I thought I'll try a yoga class. And the uh, same thing, Cheryl Kuypers, she was the only teacher in town at that time. Same teacher? Yeah, same teacher. Never were in the same class together, because I would have remembered. Um, <laughs> so I I went to her class and started going, I think it was Thursday mornings at 9, and uh, just loved the physicality of it, but also loved the challenge of it. And then also loved, it introduced me on a deeper level of a different way to approach breath work, meditation, and 
then I just started to read more about yoga, where it came from. Introduction, the first book I read was Autobiography of a Yogi, Paramahansa Yogananda. Um, you know, people flying and walking through walls and stuff, all kinds of superhero powers, um, which I have yet to experience. But <laughs> <laughs> I don't know now. That's a wrap on the episode. I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it piqued my interest in just the deeper philosophical underpinnings of yoga practice. So then that just kind of set me off on to where we are now. That's kind of the nexus of where it started. That's so wild that you two were both doing the same yoga teacher. Was that like uh, like the same time period too? Or yeah, well, it was 89, mm-hmm. 1989 maybe. Yeah. 89 to 92, I think I studied with Cheryl. And then she retired and, and uh, Carolyn Hines, who founded the yoga studio in Grand Rapids, she was the only other teacher. They're both from the Iyengar method. Mm-hmm. Uh, both very well trained, very, very good, good teachers. teachers. Um, really lucky to run into them as to be the first experience to yoga. Yeah. It was just called the Yoga Studio? Yeah, it's still there. Um, it's, it's called the Yoga Studio. Yeah, the Yoga Studio. I love it. <laughs> I love it. You know what you're getting, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. And Carolyn taught in her basement. It was just unheard of for anyone to be out in a storefront. Yeah, she when moved we- to a storefront for a little while next to Gaia, mm-hmm. I remember. Um, and that Master Lee's studio, we shared it. You know, so, yeah. but mostly she was in her house. We were, yeah. But then around that in the early '90s is when we both six months apart, maybe um, in August of '92. No, I didn't go till '93. No. Right. Yeah. I went in August of '92 to. Our, medi- our still meditation teacher's ashram in upstate New York. And that was a big pivotal turning point for us, too, because, or for me personally, um, so in six months later, you went there, but that became our main meditation uh, practice. Yoga study. And our yoga same. study, and it's... Uh, all, the, all the associations and studies we've relationships and connections we made were from that period in time. I mean, uh, Douglas Brooks, who's like one of my mentors in philosophy, he was one of the teachers there. For, even though he wasn't part of the organization, he has such a specified area of knowledge, not specified, the guy knows a lot about yoga, um, Sanskrit professor from New York. And he would lecture on a specific type of yoga, which was uh, the South Indian traditions in the Tamil regions. Um, so it was wonderful to do courses with him. And then Paul Ortega, who was a professor at uh, Michigan State for a long time, um, his area of expertise was Kashmir Shaivism, which was a certain strain of tantric thought. And then Paul yeah. William Mahoney, yeah. he, he, Advaita Vedanta and Bhakti practices. Um, and Bhakti yoga being pretty popular right now as far as uh, like Krishnadas and chanting and Shantala, which also influenced who we brought to our center uh, for the first 15 years that we were open. But also Sally Kempton is my main, um, you know, go-to, I guess I want to say, teacher and reference besides Guru Mai for meditation. So is Guru Mai, that's the teacher that you had in upstate New York then? Yeah, yeah she's still there. Um, 
I think the last time I visited was 2007, but they, they've shifted a lot of their stuff to online. Um, and, uh, used to be, you could go used there. to be, it was just, everyone was going there. I mean, it was huge. There were five, seven, 10,000 people there. It was like a yoga university for mm -hmm. good 10 years there. Nice. So we would do all that's where I'm saying that look, that's where we met John Friend, started studying with him. You could go do a course on anything. I mean, on Kundalini, Serpent Power, on Advaita Vedanta, or studying, uh, chanting a specific yoga text on a deeper level. There were all these courses and classes, and it was really just a, like a university experience for us, as well as just uh, deeply experienced meditation practices. Uh, just the meditation that really dove me into the depth of meditation that I'm still exploring. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't seem to So stop. when you say that's <laughs> what you feel in us, that was our first experience was like world-class university style. <laughs> we were like, everybody goes to yoga like this. We later found out that's really not the case. Yeah. I mean, not that there aren't other places or ashrams or places that people were going, but this was, but the um, level of professors and, mm -hmm. and scholars they were drawing in there to teach the courses was just phenomenal. It was phenomenal. So you don't think that there's anything like that in the States today to that degree? Uh, not all in one place. Okay. You can definitely go and study with any one of those people. They all have their own courses and classes online and, and in person. Um, so if you want to dive deeper into the study of bhakti practices, William Mahoney is fantastic. And you want to dive deeper into Kashmir Shaivism, Paul Ortega is available. You want to dive deeper into uh, Sri Vidya Tantra, Janaka Yoga, Douglas Brooks is available. Meditation, Sally Kempton's available. You know, it's it's all there in different places, but it just happened to be in one place for a long time. So, And when we opened our center in 2000, there was no other yoga no storefront, storefront yoga, yoga center at the time. Um, but we modeled what we experienced. We invited, we didn't know that they would come, yeah. <laughs> but we invited Douglas D. Kane to, to Grand Rapids, to our center. So all of our students and... And a Sonam Tarji, incredible Ayurvedic doctor, practitioner. Mm -hmm. he, would, he would come every year. Twice a year. Twice a year. And Douglas um, come. Desiree Rumbaugh, who was Desiree and Shantala and Sianna Sherman and Mitchell Blyer and Jamie. Jamie Allison came for she a long time. Out. Incredible teacher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I don't know who else. But anyway, we modeled our center as a school. Mm -hmm. So I do think that sometimes when people come, they feel there's, oh, what's different about it? Because there's a lot of great yoga studios in town here. And they might have different bobs, di different feelings, uh, a feel to them based on what they attain, what they got. But ours, people feel they're, they're like, oh, this feels like a, well, a it, school, a deeper... And for 10 years, we treated it like that because there was no other thing going on in this in the scene really it was us in the yoga studio and we both kind of treated it the same we did eight week courses not it wasn't this 
drop-in thing like buy 20 classes come in you signed up for tuesday night 7 p.m you got eight classes it was built sequentially as a study program and then you would do that until benji or i or whoever was teaching the class says yeah you you got the good foundation go to level two now and then with the same thing you'd have these eight-week structured courses but then around 2012, and we had level three. Yeah, level three, level two, three, and then we'd have immersion courses where people that didn't want to do a teacher training, but they wanted to go deeper into different areas of practice, we would do a hundred hour immersion where we'd take apart yoga philosophy. Because we found that a lot of people were signing up for teacher training. Because they wanted the deeper stuff. Yeah, they didn't really and, want to be a teacher. But they didn't really want to teach. They're like, hey, I got a really good job. I work at a corporation. I make good <laughs> money. And I'm like, I'm all, what are you doing? <laughs> so then we started offering the immersion. So it could be for any deep student. Yeah. So it, for that, and, and then around 2010 to 12, uh, yoga became very popular in the fitness world. Then um, different organizations I guess there's no other way to say it. It flooded the market with with um, people who were strictly just focusing on, focusing on postural yoga. And then it started to change the whole scene of the, the studios to this drop-in base kind of approach, um, which we resisted for a long time. But then, you know, we kind of went towards that and it kind of peeled us away from that course structure, which, you know, I look back, that, that was... It's it's hard to sell that now, but I would like to have it be that rather than uh, what it's about to. We didn't even know. I didn't even know how to teach an hour class. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "How do they get everything in? How does it work? Yeah. How do people absorb it all?" Yeah. So we were really. Um, we still kind of don't. We still don't know, don't know what to do. What, how to, what to do you we, know? That's why we, we just are the way we are. Yeah. And we're offering it the way we received it. Yeah. And I feel that as a student too, in terms of like, that's why I show up as much. Cause I, I do feel that there is that intention of sequential unfolding. And I, we've talked about this before that, you know, you're kind of cycling through things. So there's like on ramps for people, but it's just perpetually deepening for the people who are still there. And I think like that level of skill is, um, you know, I've, I've explored a lot of different yoga studios and teachers and like that isn't really there it always does feel kind of like fast food a little bit where you show up and it's not to say that the teacher's not doing good work or anything but it, it it's very single serving you know whereas there's just like you kind of re- repeat it you're spinning your wheels your tires whereas with you know working with you you know i definitely feel this internal evolution and deepening happening and yeah i just haven't really felt that um before so i think that you can really feel that early work in the late 80s and early 90s is still very strong in the studio and i I honestly wish that more studios would incorporate stuff like that it may come back around because the the for better for worse the pandemic has just decimated the fitness industry the restaurant industry there's so many places closing that there may be a way to pull it back in and and be more supported to do it the way you want to do it. You know, that's mm-hmm. as far as whatever your studio is, whatever your practice is. Um, it may it may condense it a little. Things expand, they fall apart, and then they come back together and condense. I mean, that's that's kind of how it goes. 
So have you noticed anything with like, more than just like having like the single serving classes, is there kind of like a dip in quality in some of the offerings because you don't have this more extended kind of studentship platform to where there's kind of like some important elements of yoga that are kind of being left out or do you feel like it's still pretty true to the authentic lineage? Or I guess another way of saying that is, do you feel like there's been an appropriation of yoga to kind of fit a completely new model that leaves behind a lot of the movement. Oh, yes. I would say yes. I'd say there's two streams. But One's more popular than the other. Some people are continuing along that, presenting it in a, what do you want to say, a traditional way. But then... Oh, yeah, the, there's still people doing it, but I'm... The larger stream's gone more towards just, look at this cool, you know, acrobatic posture I can do. How <laughs> about the yoga booties? Yeah. That's what it's about. Yeah. I think that... Um, just speaking to it from when it started to happen, it uh, a little bit shocked me because I thought, I naively thought that yoga had this protection because if you didn't dive deeply into it, you wouldn't get the knowledge. The only people offering it were people that were doing full, uh, deep, uh, well-rounded yeah, you know, training and whatever. And then, like Rick said, when the fitness industry got a hold of it, and we kind of grappled with that, but then you kind of go, well, you know, if that's how somebody gets introduced to it in their gym, and then they find us, and they find that they want something more, then they might never have come to our center if they hadn't done it at the fitness yeah. place. Yeah. So we went through that, you know, you're always trying to look at the bigger picture and the whole of it. And then after a while, then when it started to, what we were just saying, this just changed to the whole way it was being presented. Um, people were no longer looking for that. And then it's got to be fast. It's got to be an hour. It's got to be this. Give me that. Give me that. Move, move, move. Yeah. Oh, you're doing a centering for five minutes and breathing? Oh, I can't. I can't sit still that long. Yeah. I thought you were going to just start doing it. I could do seven <laughs> poses by then. Yeah. <laughs> and, and... I didn't. I just was sort of like, yep, <laughs> that's what we're doing here. This is what you get. You know, and, and uh, they may or may not come back because it may not be what they're looking for. You know, so it's it's a little bit tricky. It was a little bit disheartening. The only thing that really shifted is just that sequential, like we that sequential base foundation of building things shifted but the quality of presenting intention breath work movement and then repose with shavasana and bringing whatever the theme was reconnecting with that theme and bringing it back out off your mat into the world that's never changed mm -hmm. so that that's what we've always done but the, the sequential learning and, and being able to get people to come to the same class eight weeks in a row, that's tough, you know, because they pop around, except for Brad. But you're like what all of our students have been. Yeah. Because we start, cause we, and, and we have students that have been with us for 20, 25 years. Mm -hmm. um, so they like it. You know, they know that I've adjusted somewhat and we're not doing, we're not saying it's an eight week session, but if you stay, if you kept doing your drop in for eight weeks in a row, you would see that I'm building on it. Mm -hmm. 
uh, you would start to notice. But yeah, it's unfortunate. I, in a way, uh, what do I want to say about it? People, I guess they just really have to want that. Yeah. Whereas before, it just seemed like everybody did. They came to yoga because they were looking, mm -hmm. or even if they didn't know they were looking for that, it connected for them. Yeah, and I think everything always comes back around to, it was a huge expansion from 1990 to like 2015. Just, I could not believe how many yoga studios there were popping up. I was like, really? There's only like 180,000 people in our city. You know, it's like, but it was... It was insane. And I think things expand like that and then it kind of crashes down and they come back to some type of core understanding, which I think we're heading a little bit more into that. I love your optimism. I can like feel you're like, well, wait, wait. Well, we're condensing. We're recondensing. We're like, what do we do? Because we've invented and reinvented ourselves so many times. So many times Benji's like, well, you know, we got to plan what are we going to do now or whatever. And sometimes I'll sit there and go, you know, I'm, I'm out of gas i'm out of tricks i don't know how to reinvent and represent myself so maybe that's because it's coming back to look i'm just who i am she's who she is and we know what we know and maybe we'll just present it in a way that we feel best expresses that well i feel like with with both of what you're offering both the tai chi and the yoga not to get into that topic but it requires an actual degree of aspiration to have a deeper intention with it then simply i feel like a lot of people have a potential and you know this is also about my lineage stream of buddhism and like mindfulness a lot of people use a lot of these things in a materialistic way where it's like i have this like dissatisfaction so i need to do something external to absolve that whereas like having a deeper intention and aspiration with it requires a much longer term investment it's not as immediate you know it's like not like the fast food thing and I think that your teaching styles probably do speak to people like me who are like ready for that level of like, I'm going to be in this for the long haul. Mm -hmm. And hopefully my, my hope is that with the pandemic, with people really hitting their limits on like the amount of stress that we can take, it's really showing us that you do, I think human beings need some sort of deeper connection to something. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be yoga or this or that. But like that deep, long form practice, I think is going to be really important for people going into the future. So I also am you know, optimistic in that regard as well, because people are going through everything trying to patch their holes, so to speak, but you know, it, it takes something more subtle. Yeah, and then to also we're, we're uh, looking at how to move that into a digital format because uh, let's face it that's where a lot of it's going now yeah. or a combination or a combination of course but how do you yeah how do you express that through a digital medium as well which is weird because this podcast is usually all done digitally i feel like i'm going in the opposite direction where <laughs> like whoa we're like in in the flesh like whoa this is weird <laughs> yeah. for me you know yeah so yeah, with, with this level of expansion and contraction, I, I feel like a lot of the elements of yoga that we do here, I haven't really experienced in a lot of other yoga studios. Namely, I mean, the centering is usually very, very brief, you know, and it's usually kind of like, 
okay, we got to get that out of the way because it's formality. Let's get into the real thing. Um, same thing with like the pranayama. Usually there's um, kind of guided breathing throughout the practice, but we've actually done some like actually focused breathing for a substantial amount of time. Um, also like the mudras and, you know, the interweaving with themes and the philosophies, all of these things, how, what is their function in this whole situation? Like how important are they to actually really sink into this practice? I, I think very important. But if it, if like what Rick was saying earlier, the two main reasons for doing yoga, self-awareness, self-expression. So there's different ways to express the connections that you're making. Sometimes, well, it's never without the breath, you know, so a little deeper focus on the breathing is only going to help the uh, flow, if you will, of the asana, because it'll deepen your experience of the expression each expression. They all have names and meanings and and um, the word bhavana, you know, energy that's behind the expression. It's, a, it's so beautiful and, and so fascinating. And the same thing with mudras are um, the, the asana of the hands. But what it is, is it's intentionality, it's holding the energy in a certain uh, focus, and then allowing it to be expressed outwardly. Maybe it's just my artistic dance background that I think these things are wonderful, um, but it also matches my heart and how I feel and, and how I express, express my spirituality. And, I just, I don't see, I couldn't separate it. Well, yeah, and mudras are, are I mean, they're like a seal, like um, like your intention is laying a bed of wax and you're pressing a seal into that wax for a specific focus and energy. Um, the interesting thing, like observing uh, Douglas Brooks when he series one mudras, go to that guy. Because um, <laughs> he, he was also talking about how the mudras are are a visible expression of mantra that the way the mudras are and how you make them have actual correlations to the mantras that you're repeating while you're making them so they're tactile uh visual and and audio you know audio you're listening to it so sometimes you may forget the mantra you remember the mudra but if you remember the mudra you remember the mantra and like he would do these things in the morning where he was doing, he just showed us briefly uh, a ritual he does every morning that the mantras he are saying is expressed through the mudras of the hands while he's doing it. And there's an inner relationship between the two. You could just take mudra practice along with mantra and that's a lifetime study. I mean, and, and you probably would have to know the Sanskrit language, which is immensely difficult he says you don't need to do those 10,000 hours I'll just help you understand it you know, which is wonderful so an idea that I had pretty recently um, I was having a conversation with somebody about the um, the role of learning philosophy in a spiritual practice because um, there's definitely even within Buddhism like practice only schools like Zen where all they do is sit 
-hmm. you know there is no like the more you say about it the more muddy it gets don't even try and philosophize but the idea that i recently had was that like learning the philosophies and like the sanskrit terms and the ideas behind something is almost like a mental asana in a sense and i don't know if that's yana yana yoga is it oh okay so it's like by thinking these thoughts and really contemplating them, you're putting your mind into these shapes, which I guess express something. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of what I'm picking up from that? Yeah. Well, like our, so. our um, you know, intentions, the, the theme of the class is based on my yana study, my philosophy, the study of philosophy and why, and that's why we would bring somebody in for that. And in our teacher training, it was always, it's, it's all of the aspects of yoga, a well-rounded understanding, maybe one or the other. Like, I love mudras, so I went towards that. I also had Douglas, and, you know, so that affected me. We had access to it. Yeah, we had access yeah. Um, to a, you know, a great teacher. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I think it depends, and I think if you're going to offer it to someone else, you need to have a well-rounded experience and understanding. I mean, offer it as a teacher, yes, just in general, but if you're going to teach someone else to teach it. Does that make sense? Yeah, and, and philosophies too, like to even to look at the vast world of yoga. That's why when people say, I do yoga, and I'm just kind of like, what kind? <laughs> yeah. It's like, what view, what pair of glasses do you have on while you're approaching your yoga practice? Is it a Vedic pair of glasses, a classical yoga pair of glasses, a Veta Vedanta pair of glasses, Tantric, Rajanika? I, but you also have to find something that resonates with you and, and stand in it for a while to learn. I mean... You well, can for know a, long a lot time. of things about a lot of stuff, and yeah. and just I call it like the wonderful thing about this day and age is everything's accessible. The bad thing about this day and age is everything's accessible. <laughs> so you can skip across the surface of the pond forever, studying a little bit of a lot of things, or you find something that resonates and, and kind of go under the water a little deeper and see where it takes you. It doesn't mean you're not open to no. try another. Th- philosophies or things, but know. you got to pick one to get into it yeah. and then maybe go deeper into another one or whatever. But it made me think about how for a long time in yoga, because of the yoga that was first coming to the West, it was all um, like a classical. It, it was Patanjali's yoga sutras were based the basis of. So everyone most... would say, well, that's yoga in America, but no, then we were exposed to like two other yeah, types yeah. of uh, uh, philosophies and studies. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a, you could just do a podcast on the word yoga. And we could research that and it still wouldn't be enough time. Probably 20 of them. <laughs> I've asked another yoga teacher too. I'm like, so like, what is yoga? And they're like, ah, this guy, <laughs> like, ah, these people are never going to learn. I just tell them to pick up George Feuerstein's The Yoga Tradition and read it from beginning to end. And that'll give you at least a good primer into it's about this thick. I was going to say, is that like 2,000 pages? Yeah. There's <laughs> <laughs> a subtle feeling. Well, you can just flip it open. It's, not, you know, it's a good something. primer to like the broad view of yoga. Yeah, yeah. 
I was going to say I uh, learned all there is to know about tantric yoga just from Wikipedia the other day. I just did the entire practice, the entire path, just off of Wikipedia. There you go. Moved on to the next thing. (laughs) It wasn't for me. I spent 20 minutes, and that's the benefit of 2022 now. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy to say. Um, Yeah. So something I also wanted to do with this conversation, since there is so many offerings of yoga, as we're talking about, I know that there is, I've talked with my roommate about this, who studied out in Colorado with some really amazing teachers. And he talks a lot about like the dangers of some certain uh, practices that people just like don't have the proper training. And then they're offering this in their, in their studios, namely, uh, and I'm not trying to throw shade, but just shine some light on something like Bikram yoga, where you go in and it's like a hot room and you're sweating and going way past your limit on what your body normally would do. Have you noticed uh, with this expansion of yoga that there are some maybe misunderstandings that are potentially creating harm? And maybe just like, is there any like warnings or myth busting that you think is important to instill into people who are interested? Without throwing shade, I'm not trying to- Yeah, I would say the biggest benefit that we had from our study with um, with John Friend for a long time was the idea of there has to be a strong engagement of, of muscular tissue before you can extend and stretch it. And um, I don't know, I can't really speak to hot yoga, never been to a class. Um, but from what I've seen of the, the stresses and strains that some of the people that have done that practice, uh, there's no engagement in that extension. The heat provides the loosening and then sometimes overstretching can occur and then the ligaments and the tendons get a little loose and uh, some problems can arise. So I would say the biggest thing is to work with some type of centering, then you engage the muscular group that you're working with before you extend and stretch it. So you have an integration, uh, protection of the joint structures and then hanging on to a minimal engagement as you stretch and open provides for a much uh, greater opening in whatever asana you're doing, but also integrates the joint structure. So you're less likely to injure yourself. You can always injure yourself, (laughs) but you're less likely. So I would say that would be my thought about that. Yeah, there's no... um... I've, I've never done hot yoga. I, but people would say, "Do you have hot? Do you offer hot yoga?" I said, "I'm always hot in yoga yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because my heat comes from inside. Because I know how to engage my muscles. I know how to draw energy into myself. I know how to take that energy and extend it back out. And I'm not using the space as a way of imposing that. So." I think people are attracted to it because it was easy and quick, quick. You All of a sudden you're open and you can do things. You sweat hard. You always feel really good after Yeah, and then people are like, yeah, I'm sweating, I'm sweating. But I would always say, I don't even understand it. I'm always sweating when I'm doing my practice. But a lot of people weren't because they had they didn't quite understand or, or hadn't learned about that kind of engagement. So in it, And it takes time and practice, little by little. Again and again. I just started sweating in yoga. Yeah. I, just, I, I never sweat.
under sweating in life. <laughs> yeah. so, Come to yeah. Kung Fu class sometime. Yeah. <laughs> but he just started sweating. I, yeah. I just started. <laughs> now I'm going to be like super sweaty all the time. <laughs> what have you done? Yeah. yeah. So it's, um, was, I've helped a lot of people that have, like if their introduction to yoga was hot yoga, and then they came to our center and they would say, oh, I never, I didn't know this. I never heard this kind of instruction or way of doing it. And um, I always just took that as an opportunity. Of, okay, great. Let's give this a try, you know, and, and see how it works. And often they would be sweating at the end and, you know, see sort of a, a, a way of compare and contrast that. Maybe you're still going to that, you know, because yeah, that's take, just what you like. Take and, what you gain back to that, you know. That's, yeah, apply it. So when you say exerting energy, what are, what do you mean by that? Like, what do you mean by energy? Like, it's a, such like an amorphous term, I feel like, for a lot of people who might not have that experience of actually exerting an energy outside of, like, physical labor. Like, are we just talking about, like, straining or what? Oh, no, I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm saying I think people think of muscular energy, especially if it's more fitness oriented, is it's just on your out the outside of you. So you're just, you know, I'm gonna clamp down like this and make my muscles engage. And yoga is act is the opposite. It's saying tone and connect to the the energy the, the some center point. Yeah. yeah. That's why there's the focal points or the bandhas in the that are referenced in the physical body. Um, yoga is about the energetic body. It's about you know feeling. If you have feelings, you felt energy. <laughs> That's the way I would say it. So uh, you look out at a sunrise or a sunset, and that somehow you get evokes this feeling that comes out of you. Where did it? What is that? That's what I'm talking about. So when you stabilize by engaging the muscles, you're also showing up. You're, you're not disconnecting from A boundary is a good thing. Some boundaries are where the most freedom happens. Whereas I think in our society, we're always like, I want to be free. Every freedom, I want to let it go. I want to merge with consciousness. And I'm like, you are consciousness. <laughs> and this is a boundary. You're in a body. And you're meant to be an expressive being in this physical container, not get out of it and go into some other space. Yeah, but yeah, on a, on a basic level, answering that question, like, he's gonna make it more practical. That was pretty practical. Okay. That was, was it not? But mus muscles draw towards the center. Whenever they contract, they draw towards the energy of a muscular contraction draws towards the midline of the body. So when you, you contract and engage the muscles, you're literally and physically drawing into your center. And then from that center, when you gather that energy of muscular, we call it muscular engagement, you can then extend out. And um, I love the term early on in our practices, it was called bone energy. Like you, you draw the muscles in and then keeping that contraction, you'd start to lengthen the bone structure and that would create a nice opening. So it's like expansion and contraction energy um, on a physical level. Now, 
subtle body yoga anatomy. We could have a whole other podcast on that. <laughs> oh, start the recording on that one right now. <laughs> there's, there's, yeah, and everything's energy, like Benji was saying, and I think even modern physics, quantum physics, would verify that. Yeah, I've noticed um, a little disclosure as I've been practicing. My connection to my core has been so much more strong since I've started this practice. And that like literally, like I'll be driving and like turn my car and my core is activating. <laughs> just like naturally, like thing, it just like- This makes me happy. <laughs> it, it's really weird. It's, it's, it's not like I've gone 28, almost 29 years of just like not engaging my core. Just like not having that center. And I've never been one of the people who wants to just like blast out into space. And that's kind of the other side of the spectrum from what we've talked about earlier with people just like, I just want to get in for the fitness. There's also the potential for people to just try and get away from yeah, their boundary. boundary. What that, what's the term? Spiritual bypassing. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It just, well, and some of the, well, some of the earlier like classical yoga is literally about getting out of the physical body, existing in some exalted state, kaivalya, aloneness, at oneness. So you're not no longer interacting with the material world. You're observing it from some exalted space, which um, doesn't make any sense to me. But <laughs> yeah. What did they call the, uh, the wandering sadhus they had a specific name where they would like barely even eat they'd go live in the woods for it was in the siddhartha story um they had the sadhus uh, i guess that's probably it then forest yogis are the ones that disappeared into the forest there were mountaintop yogis that went into the caves um there's lots of stories about both of them um then the Jain, Jain yogis were where all the aestheticism the really rigid aestheticism came from like you know standing on one leg and staring at the sun for years or they're just that's where extreme discipline to peel away from the physical body you know it causes so much pain that you disassociate which is interesting it almost i feel like that's like the ultimate expression of suffering in that yeah. like you're just like really not okay like i feel like liberation is just being okay with all of the things as they are the fact that we are human beings in the 21st century during a pandemic in these bodies like if you could just be okay with where you're at and i feel like yoga really helps you do that because if you have a commitment you show up every session that you're scheduled or whatever even if you're having that bad day you're still showing up and you're still being a human on the mat you know and that's really one of the lessons i've taken away between this and my meditation was just to be okay with the messiness just to really allow the messiness to be the liberation yeah. and use that enlightened energy of just yeah what can you learn from that yeah you know what can you learn from that as well as the incredibly great experiences that but yeah those bliss states those are really uh really appetizing <laughs> yeah and that's another thing too is like you can't push them away as well you can't like try and like well i'm not gonna be a spiritual bypass so i'm not gonna let myself, you know, I think that's also a part of compassion is being compassionate to yourself and allowing when something good happens to also enjoy that stretch, enjoy that expansion, that understanding as well. You know, we don't have to deny that. Well, not at all. You want both. Yeah, you want to acknowledge both. I'm, I'm kind of uh, heartened at the where yoga is, most yoga is right now, 
is there, including what we would call like the shadow side or the light. So when there was a, a wave there that went where everything was peace, light, and rainbows, dancing unicorns. <laughs> and I just did not understand that because that's not where we, you know, we started meditating and everything that you've ever tried to ignore came up. Yeah. And that was part of it. You were supposed to, that, but at the same time, we were having very um, expansive. expansive experiences as well. Joyous, blissful, whatever. So to ha that is to me that is a yoke. You have both. So you want to be fully present in this body to both things. Yeah, I've noticed, um, I mean, with my generation, I interact with a lot of people, especially from like music festivals in my past and a lot of spiritual minded folks. And I've noticed there's kind of this spectrum of like attached to the love and light where they, they won't look at any of the shadow. But then I've also met some people that are attached to the shadow work because they have some sort of mental hang up and then they kind of make themselves a hero for dealing with it rather than just like allowing this situation and then like working towards alleviating it. Some people like also wallow in that to a degree that I think, you know, there is that potential, there is kind of a seductive quality to it. And I think like for me, it's like both are equally just parts of being human and like being human somewhere in the middle of that. Yeah, you know, beautifully you said. <laughs> fall off on each side. You yeah, know? I think like you're saying, being human in the middle of it, back to the original question, what is yoga? That's yoga. <laughs> <laughs> that was like the best bone you could have ever put on the whole thing. That's amazing. And that's actually like pretty much right where we're at too. So uh, I do want to say thank you so much for letting me pick your brains. Uh, a lot of stuff. We covered a lot of ground here. Um, the cool thing about the silver lining of the pandemic is if folks are interested in continuing to practice and study with you, they could do so, right? Yeah. How can people stay in touch with you and how can they get involved? Um, from the heart yoga uh, can register for any of the classes there there and all of them are available on zoom at present. Um, that was a new world for us. We never yeah. did that. So you but can. But you have both options. We have both options. In the house, um, uh, we'll see how this latest peak goes with the COVID. So, but in the house, we're requiring masks and, and vaccination. Uh, but, or if that isn't an option for you, um, we have online. You can zoom in. You can zoom in. Yeah. And it carries over pretty well. I've done a few of the online classes. I prefer coming in just because y'all are like up the road. Mm -hmm. But, you know, for those online classes, I there was a good transmission. There was a good amount of like connectivity. Plus you see everybody else doing the thing. And um, yeah, so I, I'm just vouching. I'm trying to sell you guys up a little bit. Yeah, yeah thanks. It. it works very well. Thank you. Thank you. It's, it's, yeah, that's a whole new world that we never would have probably gone into had it not been for this. So that's, I don't want to call it a silver lining, but it was definitely an education curve and a good one. So, just like starting this podcast today, yeah, <laughs> definitely not a silver lining, but some lessons, some good lessons. Yeah. So now, y'all uh, from the Heart Podcast, come in soon. I'm sorry. <laughs> by Brett. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Asking me good questions. Yeah. No, we appreciate the conversation. Yeah. We really do. Thank and you you're so very much. Curious. Yeah. That's helpful. Yeah. Good questions and uh, broad subjects. 
it, it's hard to, I mean, this is the second conversation on yoga I've had in on the podcast. So I start broad and then I'm going to keep on narrowing mm-hmm. the more because I, I like you're talking about with the way you want to structure your courses. Everything is sequential, you know, and I think not a lot of shows do that, but I think it's important if you really want to get deep. Yeah. So, yeah, thank you for helping me uh, open that doorway, step into the um, the vestibule, if you will. And uh, yeah. All right. We'll see you very soon. Thanks, bro. Thanks. All right, friends. That was the episode. Thank you so, so, so much for joining us. Like I said, that was Benji Mason and Rick Powell from From the Heart Yoga. If you want to keep in touch with what they have going on, they do all sorts of online teachings. Luckily, uh, they have found a way to surf the crazy waters of the pandemic and have some really powerful online offerings. So if you really want to experience the flavor of yoga that Benji is offering, then I really suggest uh, hopping on. It's all through Zoom. As long as you have uh, a space to do it, then you're good to go. And really, the transmission, like I said in the episode, is really good. You know, I've done a lot of the, the virtual stuff, and she does a really solid job of really communicating the flavor and the energy of really being in the room it's the best of the ability given the constraints but that is from the highly suggest if you're in grand rapids come on out to the studio let's kick it let's do some yoga together and uh yeah that's gonna be this week's episode if you want to support this show you can head on over to apple Podcasts, leave us a review that is uh it's like gold it's like uh the pirate's treasure if you leave a review you will have good luck for seven years so if you want good luck for seven years, take five minutes, leave us a review, helps the show, helps me, makes me feel good. You want me to feel good? If you don't want me to feel good, why are you listening? What's going on? We got a problem. You should send me an email. We also got a Patreon, uh, 21st Century Vitalism. Right now, there's not really any rewards outside of ensuring that I can afford to do this show and uh, give more and more energy to it. You know, it's a give and take. It's a reciprocity. I have another business going on. So, you know, this is my side business, which hopefully will become a primary. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. We're also on Instagram, Facebook, uh, YouTube. You can like, follow, subscribe, do all the things that people do in the digital age. I am watching. And if you do it, then you'll get a virtual high five. I want to thank my friend Jess for joining the Patreon also. Uh, The very first uh, $5 that I've received for the podcast, it's a huge deal. If I had it uh, in physical form, I would hang it on my wall. It is a huge help. Thank you so much. You will be immortalized in the 21CV Hall of Fame. You are the best. Everybody, I hope you are well. We'll see you in two weeks or next week. I think I'm going to do another book review. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. All right. Be well, friends.